Hi, I'm Danny. I'm an alcoholic. I love the fluorescent light. Boy, happy birthday again to you. And uh, boy, did you see how the crowd, the herd thins out from the zero to 29 uh, as it climbs up? Hmm. Mm. Welcome to you. All you people brought here in druggy buggies, breathing other people's feet and farts. Ain't it fun? This is not going to be a serious talk. I'm not that guy. I know some of you are probably sitting here thinking, really? Saturday night? AA, huh? It's come to this. A level of lame I didn't know existed. What's going on in that back row over there? Yeah. How you guys doing? Man, those contraptions you guys use to smoke out of, those vape things, it just doesn't look as fun as a camel cigarette. I'm sorry. It doesn't look anywhere near as satisfying as a filterless cigarette. Does it? No. What happened to the Marlboro man? He went vegan, Don. He's got a backpack made out of hemp. So anyway, thank you, Don, for asking me to come here, I think, like three years ago or something. Uh, I love Dawn. She's a champion of Alcoholics Anonymous. She's always right in the middle of everything, you know. And uh, <sighs> long day, good long day. Somehow I got from a doorway wearing everything I own to being a local 11 uh, IBEW electrical superintendent who's in charge of building three train stations, which is what I was doing today. How do you get from there to there? How do you do that? Well, let's talk about it. So I was, uh, uh, my father was a colonel in the Air Force. Uh, I had two brothers. I had a, I'm the middle. I don't know if anybody else is the middle here. I'm the scapegoat. Uh, I, everything is my fault. I have so much potential. And if only I'd apply myself. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. And in my house, we had this thing called a leather belt. That was the higher power in my house, the leather belt. And if you put your hand back there to try to block or do anything to stop the leather belt, the leather belt got turned around and became the belt buckle. So my first tool for living was I wanted out, out of the car, out of the family, out the window, out of this whole thing. Wrong earth suit, this is wrong. Everybody seems to know what to do. All the kids can just walk up to another kid and go, Hi, will you play with me? And I didn't know how to do that. I just felt wrong. And I was told I was wrong while I was getting those. You know, when you go to some AA houses, we have these little jargon things up on the wall. You know, live and let live. Easy does it. But for the great. If, you know, some people will walk up to you and not know what they're talking about, too. And just, like, you'll be, like, ready to explode. And they'll go, just keep coming back. They'll give you the old, keep coming back. And you should stop them and go, excuse me, I didn't get the spiritual significance of that. Could you please explain that to me? The whole live and let live. And probably they'll say, I have no idea. Somebody just said that to me, so I'm saying it to you. This is a tight group, right? Relax, you guys. It's okay. We're out of the bathroom. Isn't it nice to be out of the bathroom? Now, just so you guys know here in the front, I'm going to be addressing a lot of these new people, so some of the stuff I say might go clean over your head. 
like carpet patrol. Do you, John, do you know what carpet patrol is? How many people in here have been on carpet patrol? There's, there, I know there's other people that ain't raising their hands. Right? Let me tell you what carpet patrol is, John. You've been up for like nine days. You haven't eaten anything. The house is surrounded by the DEA. You're probably naked. You got a pipe in one hand, and you got a lighter in the other. And you're crawling on the floor, looking for anything that you can dig out of the carpet and smoke. Am I getting the story right so far? Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah? I just do that to scare new people. You know? I think we have to sell pamphlets at the airport tonight. And that's called carpet patrol. And nothing in there, in the carpet, will get you high. But you have to smoke it. So you're, there's a lot of people in here who smoke drywall and bagel crumbs and bread chips, right? So maybe you've been to a meeting where you've heard somebody say to you, if you have a problem other than alcohol, there's another place for you. You know what I say? Tell them, if you're listening to this on a podcast, I just held up my middle finger. Um, excuse me while I go get a big book. skipped to go get what we can all agree on, approved general service literature. Yes? We call it the big book. I know if you're new, you're thinking, I've seen bigger. Right? Not that big. It's big because it's powerful. In this book, you know we had this. Maybe you like smokable alcohol. Maybe you like injectable alcohol. Maybe you like snortable alcohol. Maybe you like pill form alcohol. Yum. Reliable. Right? And maybe you've been to some meetings where you've heard some people say there's another place for you. <clears throat> Please direct these people to page 410 of our fourth edition, which used to be Dr. Addict Alcoholic. Now, some people had a problem with that word addict. Ooh. I'll wet my bed and throw up on myself, but damn it, I don't want to hear the word addict. So they changed the name of the story to Acceptance is the Answer. Let's now go to page 410, shall we? Music, please. Listen to what this guy does. So if you're thinking, look, what do I have in common with a 1935 stockbroker that made gin in his bathtub and hid bottles in the toilet? Just go here where this guy right here was shooting pep pills and he was taking one acting, Ben's a dream. Oh, he was... Uh, he loved intravenous Demerol. Yum. Yum. It's all right here, okay? So if you look hard enough, you'll find a way in. Did you know the name of this book was going to be called A Way Out? Yes or no? The name of this book was going to be called a, I know you guys are surprised that I knew that. It was going to be called A Way Out, but Bill didn't like that there were 12 copyrights already, and he didn't like the number 13. And you know what he was going to name it? A Hundred Men. And just then, the first woman walked in and killed it. <laughs> so they're sitting in a room, right? And they used to, at the meeting, that's what they called it, the meeting. And some blubbering, wet-brained alcoholic was looking around going, anonymous alcoholics. And that's how we got our name. And we are named after this book, The Quietest Kept Secret in AA. The basic text, Alcoholics Anonymous. So you pr I liked that it was going to be called A Way Out because I needed, when I... When I came through the door, I needed a way out 
of the way that I wasn't living. I was existing. I was wearing everything I owned. When I was 22 years old, I had holes in my teeth. I had mats in my hair. I was sleeping in doorways. And the only thing I could do to get a drink was either, well, the drink that I liked was kept on the shelf next to the mayonnaise. It was called MD 2020 or night train. No grapes in the bottle, right? It was like turpentine. Or did you know that there are some people that think that a cigarette butt floating in a drink is a non-drinkable <laughs> beverage? Can you believe that? <laughs> Rookies. Have you ever been out drinking with these normies? You know, where like during a, like an, an hour lunch, they're still only this deep into their drink. And you're like, what's wrong with you? You know, right? And so I would go to the bar at like 10 to 2, and the, and the waitress would bring all these, this is hard to say, John, unfinished drink. Did you ever have an unfinished drink? Don, I bet you never did, did you? I never had an unfinished drink. And if God, God help you, if you set yours down, it became mine, right? right? You could tell the alcoholics at a party, they never set down their drink. It's always in their hand, right? So she would bring over all these drinks, and they had like cigarette butts in them, maybe loogies in them, and oh, don't make that face. How many people in here have sniffed something off of a public uh, bathroom before? Come on, see ya. Isn't it funny, though, but when you come in here and you get like 10 days sober, suddenly you're like, excuse me, is that range-free vegan water? <laughs> is that a gluten-free cupcake? Let's not forget what we did to get drunk, you know. I never want to forget. I don't want to get complacent. I don't want to forget about, you know the bolts on the sides of the toilet? I don't want to forget about being down there undoing the toilet, taking it off, turning it upside down so I could get the syringe out of it. I don't want to forget that. You know, while my daughter's in the next room, she's sleeping, and that's what I'm doing because I can't not do that. So anyway, she'd bring all these drinks over, and I'd take them outside the bar, and I'd strain them through my T-shirt. I know. Only in AA do people laugh at this, right? Only. You can talk about having your ass whipped or trying to hang yourself, and somebody will always laugh. And on page 132 of this book, it says that we think that laughter and cheerfulness are useful. Because if you came in here and you didn't see us having fun, you'd be right back crawling in the carpet. Amen? Amen. Some people call that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I called it a Long Island tea. <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, I knew I was never going to be nothing. Every time my father was giving me an ass whip and telling me I was nothing, I'd never be nothing, I'd never have the capacity to love or... or people were always asking me the same question. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why do you do that? Right? And I started going to child psychiatrists and things like that, you know, and I knew I was never going to be nothing. And the only way I can explain it is, is that I felt like... You have kids? You remember, you know when you buy your, when your kid's like four or five years old and you buy them one of those expensive $6 metal balloons with the helium in them? You got to tie it to their wrist so they don't let go of it and you got to go in and buy another one. You know what I'm talking about? So I felt like as I navigated through life that I had these loser balloons in my hand that I couldn't let go of. There's these big giant balloons the size of a Goodyear blimp and it said loser. And wherever I walked into you know, I always had to be something other than what I was. You know, I just couldn't come in and say, hi, I'm Danny. You know, the guy that's never going to be nothing. You know, the guy that screws everything up. You know, yeah, that guy. I couldn't be him. I had to be something. I don't know if there's any other liars here. 
but I used to lie so much that I have fond memories of shit that never even happened to me. You know what I mean? You know when you're telling somebody some bullshit story and you're like, and then, what? Anyway, you know, and our book talks about it. In the doctor's opinion, it talks about where I can no longer distinguish what is real and what is false. I don't know. You know, I remember I used to buy picture frames, and you know how it comes with those people, the people in the picture frame? Because I didn't know where my family was, right? When I was 17 years old, my father became the base commander of Clark Air Force Base, so my family moved to the Philippines, right? Again, hardy har har. So I used to buy these picture frames, and I'd name the people. There's my aunt, Martha. I'd write the name on the back so I could remember. And then I'd kill them off. Things would happen to them for sympathy, you know. And then after like 15 years, I'm like, is that my Aunt Martha? <laughs> so like the only thing I had going for me when I was a kid is, you know, I wanted to be something. I, I wanted to be something. You know, every time that we would move, we moved a lot being an Air Force brat. And every time we'd move to a different school district, they'd give us this little index card. And it would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I never one time wrote, I want to be, I want to be on a 5150. I want to be, do you know what a 5150 is? It's when you're a, a danger to yourself and others. Perhaps some of you have been there. I want to be strapped down to a bed. I want the cops spreading my fingers while they get an IV in me and wake up with a catheter in my Johnson. I never said that. I said, you know, when I was 10 years old, I sat behind a set of drums and I could play the drums. For some reason, no one ever taught me I could play the drums. I wanted to be the next John Bonham or Buddy Rich, covered the whole room, right? But alcoholism had other ideas for me. When I was 17, 19, Rod Stewart was looking for a drummer. True part of the story. And so that's how I came out to California. True part of the story. I put, I put all my drums in this Greyhound bus, came out to California. I was going to be the next drummer for Rod Stewart. When I got to the bus station, there was a pawn shop open next door. And all my hopes and dreams, man, went right into my left arm. But I told so many people that I played drums for Rod Stewart that when I hear hot legs on the radio... I admire my own drumming. I really have to stop and go, wait a minute. You, you have no idea. Like, I learned his whole, whole library of his music and pretended I was him all the time. And every bar I went to could get plenty of free drinks because, once again, I can't just be Danny. Danny's nothing. Danny's never going to be nothing. And I knew I was never going to be nothing. I, I, I accepted that. And I wanted to kill myself, and I was too afraid to. But I was cool with whatever I was participating in. If it killed me, fine. Hated the mirror. I was sleeping in doorways in San Francisco, and I was hiding in this phone booth, you know? I know some of you in here have never used a payphone. I know. I know. Dude that did the chips, you ever used a payphone? I knew it. No way. We used to have pay phones. You know there was a time you could call John, and if he wasn't home, phone would just ring and ring. He didn't even know you called. <laughs> Him and his wife be out. They weren't taking pictures of their dessert, making you look at it. And if you wanted to see Don's cat sleeping, you had to go to her house, knock on the door, and say, I hear you have a cat sleeping. I'm like, see it? So anyway, I'm hiding in this phone booth, right? I'm hiding because now it's daylight, and everybody's doing these things that I don't know how they do, like, they're all bathing, and they all have jobs, and they're all being nice and kind and loving, and I'm comparing how I feel to how you look, and I'm losing every time. I'm a loser. I'm never going to be nothing. I'm hiding in this phone booth so nobody can see me, 
and somebody put a bumper sticker in there about AA. It says, uh, you got a drinking problem? Call Alcoholics Anonymous. It's like, call, collect, no coin needed. <laughs> I can still hear, Alcoholics Anonymous, there's some duty, can I help? And all I could say, I just cried. All I could do is cry. And I walked into my first meeting, and there was a, Gary? Gary, there was a guy four times your size, nose guard on a football team, biggest dude. Now, Gary, you ever been to a, a bar, you think it's the very first time you walked in, and the bartender says, excuse me, you, out. And you're like, well, apparently I've been here before. <laughs> apparently all that broken shit right there was from when I was here Thursday, right? Because I used to black out a lot, you know, and you can't, you know, when you just wake up and all of a sudden the cops are there, you can't just go, sorry, excuse me, I just got here. That's the thing I do. You know, I'm here, I'm not here. You just got to keep keep nodding. We'll figure it out, right? So I walk in. Now, I look like, when I walk into AA for the first time, I look like a chick on speed. I'm a size none, right? You know, just, you know, they kind of put one leg in front of each other, like, you kind of rock. You're the laughing. Yeah, you know, right? And that's, I think I look tough. And I'm iodine colored from the wine. And I walk in. Now, if somebody came, I saw this big guy sees me. And I'm like, and I see him see me. And here he comes. And I'm like, uh-oh, I've been here before, right? Let's go. And if he had told me, get out of here, you're not wanted. Or if you wanted to fight, fine. But he did the last thing I thought was going to happen. He said, I love you. What? And then he hugged me. And I told him, don't ever hug me. And he hugged me again, man. You know? And I thought every day I'd panhandle change in Civic Center Park and then walk up this hill to Bush and Gough Street in San Francisco to this meeting. And I thought the price of admission for AA was a hug from a dude. And trust me, it was almost too much for me to walk in the door. If you're new and you, there's only one door and six greeters on either side, you know, like at the Canyon Club where you got to, like, you're like the president. How you doing? How you doing? Fine, 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 fine. You know? You know what I mean? Thank God that place has other doors. Because I have driven up to a meeting and thought, you know what? Not tonight. Because you're going to ask me stuff. How you feeling? I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to kill you and all your friends. But you can't say that. It's the last place I got left. You know? So uh, anyway, this guy. Anyway, I don't have the normal time that I have. So I'll just speed through this. I started eight years of I sponsor myself. Perhaps you've seen these people. You know, when you go to a steering committee meeting, you'll see these people fighting for two hours over what kind of cup we should use at the conference. These are not good sponsors. Don't ask these people to sponsor you. They're unhappy. And don't look for somebody who has what you want. It, you're too new. Right? I remember one time calling my sponsor. I said, Earl, do you think I should get back with Debbie? He goes, oh, Debbie? You mean the one when you broke up with her, she broke the windshield of your truck, put the hose in, and turned it on for eight hours? No, Danny. Probably too soon to be getting back together with Debbie. But she's cute. If I'd have looked for somebody who had what I wanted when I was new, I would find a guy that says, okay, we're going to work the 12 steps, but you can still take Percocet and drink Southern Comfort. Maybe too soon to be throw it back into my court. Look for somebody who has what they want. Look at Dawn. Look, she's comfortable. This isn't about stopping. We've all stopped before. Uh-oh, I'm getting on one. 
It's not about how many people in here have stopped before. Who, who's relapsed many times? Come on. I'm the guy that couldn't get sober. Here I am. I am the guy for 15 years went in and out, right? I'm the guy. They said he ain't never going to make it. I've stopped before. This ain't about stopping. It's about how do I stay stopped, right? So you see I'm wearing this ring. You know, we have this circle and this triangle. Most of the times when you go to a clubhouse or a podium, you'll see the circle and triangle. It appeared on the second edition the first time. In 1955, we adopted this ancient symbol, mind, body, and spirit. Therein lies the balance that I seek as a whole human being. And we turned it into unity, recovery, service, right? So unity's the body. I bring it to a meeting. Now, me, I can play the drums, right? I'm an electrician. I can build a, a steam plant that can power this whole city. I can take a Harley apart, put it back together, it'll still run. I know the lyrics to about 10,000 songs, but of and by myself, I cannot not drink this drink. Fail. Every time. But I come here, unity's the body, I bring it to a meeting. Me plus you is a power greater than myself. For some reason, I hook it up with you, and I can separate myself. I use you to separate me from alcohol. I have become temporarily separated until I can get through the steps, right? And I get in the middle over here, like the penguin on your shirt. Alcoholics are like penguins. You ever see the penguins? They survive like minus 70 degrees in the Antarctic because they do it together, right? They see a new guy on the outside. Come on, get a commitment. Come on. All right, ship guy, literature guy. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Get in the middle. Get in the middle. That's what that means, get in the middle, get in the middle of this. And then when you've been around here for a while, get in the middle means actively sponsored and sponsoring, right? Amen? Amen. So, how do I stay stopped? How can I fit into this earth suit so I can navigate around the world? How can I get outside my door, come in contact with, with hundreds of people and not owe any of them an amends? That's my goal every day. Make it back to the bed without owing anyone an amends. Not easy. Thank God for contrary actions, right? I am contrary action man. I have the circle and triangle underneath here, right? I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I would like to do. Usually, I don't say what I want to say. My mouth has gotten to me in so much. You, I, you can probably tell, right? <laughs> Ugh. Pause when ad. There are people doing double life in prison that wish they could have. Pause when agitated. <laughs> Your Honor, I wish I could have paused when agitated. <laughs> so there I am. Eight years, I sponsor myself. This doesn't work. I'm getting to meetings late. I'm leaving meetings early. And the only reason I'm going to meetings is so I can ask girls, would you like to go to coffee? <laughs> 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 I can tell you guys know about coffee, huh? Right? And of course I'm going to go back out. I need relief. So I go back out. I take a drink, and for 15 years I can't not take that drink, man. And I'd been exposed to you. And along the way I met this, this girl. Her name was Vicki Smart. She was a really good member of Alcoholics Anonymous. She's dead now. Vicki had a distended liver, 14 years sober, and she had to start taking pain pills again. And, of course, it got blurry for her. You know, the maybe I don't have to wait four hours as directed, and then she ended up overdosing on Vicodin. Before Vicki died, every night, this was in, like, 1995, right? 
the only thing I had burned this band down to the ground, this great band that I was in. I was a front man now. I'm a singer now. I'm not a drummer anymore. I got tired of carrying drums around. Right? So I was a front man in this great band that you would have heard of had it not been for Kalanapin and Southern Comfort. <laughs> Southern Comfort, improperly named. No one was ever comfortable when I drank Southern Comfort. Me or the entire apartment building. We're all going to jail tonight. So every, the only thing I had at this one part of my life, because my life kept folding over on itself, you know, every time. And I'd sit, I had a Honda Civic with no windshield, a red-nosed pit bull named Brooklyn, and my hand tools. I was a catch. <laughs> and I had Vicky, this girl that loved me, like it talks about in this chapter, Two Wives. You know, the first Al-Anon literature. For some reason, you know, all of us in here, we have burnt it all to the ground, but we still seem to hold on to somebody who cares about us. You know? And Vicky cared about me. And every night I'd start my litany of when I get off to work, trying to get to zero. You know, the absence of pain, the absence of fear, just getting to zero. Just trying to get to... And it took 10 king-size Coronas, a quarter ounce of Kush, and all, like, 20 Kalanapin. And every night, Vicky'd pull around, she'd undo the window, and she'd go, I'm going to a meeting tonight, Danny. Would you like to go? And I'd tell her, you know what? Tell him I said hi. If you're listening on the podcast, again with the middle finger. Right? Tell him I said, you know what? Screw you. I can't do it. I can't walk in there. You see, I don't know how to do column work at the time. I have never done an inventory. I don't know how to articulate the way I feel. If I could have done an inventory, I would have said, Vicky, I'm sorry. I can't go with you tonight. You see, I have a resentment towards Alcoholics Anonymous, column one. Here's the 72,000 reasons why, some choice names. Here's the areas affected, a seven-bagger, that's for sure. And the most important column, my part is, the truth is, honestly, Vicki, I know that I will never know permanent sobriety. I will never be accepted by this group. But I don't know how to say that. So it comes out, you know, like the guy you see at the back of the room, you meet, the first thing you meet is his neck. You know this guy? Because how do you say, I'm really hurting over here, would somebody please? No. When you see that, that's what's going on. Gently walk up. Right? On page 91 of our book, in Working with Others, it says, see your man alone. Maybe don't start quizzing that newcomer about how they're feeling and how they're doing in a group full of people. Maybe you might want to, I don't know, here's a novel concept. Get off your phone during the break or before the meeting and go maybe 100 yards from the front door of a meeting and find the person who's too afraid to walk through that, that group of uh, greeters, you know? Have you ever heard a big meeting before it starts, how, how it sounds? Oh, my God. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. So anyway, Vicky would pull around every night, and she'd say, I'm going to a meeting, and I just I can't go. I'm like, I'm the Mr. In-N-Out boy. Every time I try to sneak into a meeting, I'm like, how many days do you have now, Danny? And I'm ashamed to walk in here. I'm, I'm failing at this. I can't, I can't do it. And one night she pulls around, and she says, Danny, if you want me to keep feeding your dog, sleeping in my bed, paying your rent, and living here, you will get in the car tonight, and you are going to a meeting. So guess what I did? I got in the car. I mean, I'm dying of a, a alcoholism, but I'm not stupid, right? So I get in the car, and she takes me to a meeting in, in the 90s called Rodeo. You ever been there? Now, I'm not exaggerating. 
five to seven hundred people every Friday night. Dolce Gabbana, Jimmy Choo, Prada, Tan in the Winter. You know, like here, like like here. That's what I love about Laguna Hills. People aren't phony here. They know they're better than you. Good night. And that's what I walk into, right? They're just all, uh, you know. And I'm pig pen, right? No matter how I clean up, I just know I'm just rotten inside. I'm never going to do this. What's the use? I got my loser balloons in each fist. I'm not going to make it. I can't do it. What's the point? Okay, I'll come in here so I can keep living at Vicky's house. I sit all the way in the back. Vicky sandwiches me. She's on the aisle, and there's this dude right here, and I'm way back there. And this guy named Earl gets up there, and he starts talking. Never heard him talk. Never heard of him before. And the second he started talking, it was like one of those close-ups in movies, you know, where the camera zooms in and the person moves up to it. It was like, shoo. Remember the first time you heard your sponsor talk? It was like me and him were the only ones in the room, man. He was saying, Danny, you can do this. You can make it. And a little voice went, maybe. Which is a huge word for us. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I don't have to die. Maybe it'll matter. Maybe I can be my kid's dad. Maybe. And I asked him to sponsor me. Oh, my God. I had to wait. He's like the president. A line two hours long, and I had to sit over there just feeling so, ugh. I walked over there and asked him, will you sponsor me? And he said, yes, I will. And for 15 years, man, that man did not give up, right? All of L.A. told Earl, you got to let go of Danny. I mean, we're really hard to love, you know, when you're sponsoring somebody and they just can't make it. And, and you start caring about somebody. And we die. And we, Earl didn't tell me about AA. He showed me AA. He didn't say, go, go set up a chair. He said, come on. You know, when I went back to county jail for being under the influence of a controlled substance, Earl waited for me for seven hours in line to see me for four minutes. He demonstrated to me that I was valuable. When I went to prison, he drove across California to see me. Every time they were taking the catheter out of me at Glendale Adventist or Thalian's Mental Center, who was there? AA was there in the form of Earl. He just didn't give up. And they, his wife said, you got to let go of Danny. I'm telling you, I am the guy that can't get sober. So if you think you're giving up on yourself, don't do it. And if you're sponsoring somebody that's going in and out, don't let go of them. Don't let go. Just keep extending the hand. So uh, finally, on February 18th, 2008, I, I took my last drink, and I knew it. I was, I was done. I was done. It's a great question to ask yourself. When you get back to your little sober living tonight, go lock yourself in the bathroom, turn the water on so they know you're doing something, look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, am I done? Am I done? On page 30 of this book, it says, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost self. What does that mean? What's my innermost self? Remember when you were like screwing somebody else's girlfriend? Remember when you were cashing mommy's check? Remember when you were doing all those things that you weren't supposed to be doing and there was a little voice that said, that's not right. Remember that? That's your innermost self, that little voice that keeps you up at night. Don't worry, we have an eight and ninth step for that. Maybe, yeah, so 
you know, February 18th, I took my last drink and I knew I was done, right? And so Earl had moved to Sherman Oaks, very nice area. You know, like these areas here, you know how you have to go to participation meetings and listen to rich people's problems and you're new? And you're like, I'm wondering if I can like pay my rent and not blow my brains out and you have to listen to like, and then the housekeeper taught Ethan a Spanish word. I'm very mad about it. And you have to sit there and just take it. You know what I mean? I got a levy on my bank account. I've never paid my taxes in my life. I'm 170 grand in debt, and I have to listen to this woman talk about her three-story house. The electricity bill is too much, and you just want to go shut up. And you, but you can't. You got to act better than you feel. You learn to not do that, right? And you know what? Every one of the you have those participation meetings where you can't raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about? You got to be called on. You ever been to one of those? Do you guys have those or not? There's these, there are some meetings where it wasn't enough that you got in the car, drove to the meeting, walked through the line of greeters, sat in the room. Now you have to be good enough to be called on. You have to be in their elite clique. Perfect place for a resentment. And they'll go, this is my home group, Monday night, right? And if you shared last week, please pass, um, uh, please pass, and we'll start the same way we have uh, for the last 22 years, Nancy. And the whole room just goes, oh, three minutes of my life, I'm never getting back, right? She's not going to say shit that I care about, right? Ugh. But you can't act like that. You got to sit there and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. can't disrespect my sponsor's friend. Now, this is the only thing I, I'll, all I believe in at this point is I believe that Earl believes. That's it. That's my higher power, right? And these are his friends. I can't piss them off. Now, I had become the person at the meeting that should not be called on, unbeknownst to me, and all I got is this maybe thing. Okay, I'm maybe, I'm six months sober, I'm not feeling the gift or the magic, there's no unicorn in the parking lot for me to ride home on, right? It's, ugh, I'm working at the W Hotel, I think, at the time, it's 119 degrees in my apartment, which is a box, right? And uh, I got a levy on my bank account because I never paid my taxes. And I'm going to this dumb meeting with the dumb people and sit there and listen to dumb sharing. But you couldn't tell. Okay. But I got this maybe. Maybe I can do it. I got six months now. And this woman, this is how maybe turned into yes. Right? Because, if look, you want to find a way out. You got to find a way in. And trust me, you're new. There's a beast in your head. We call it the mental obsession. There's a beast in there that's looking for all the differences between you and me. So you don't have to... Beast don't want you here. Beast, I never did that. I was never that bad. Beast wants you at the liquor store right now, holding your hand out for a baggie. That's where the beast wants you. Find a way in, right? I can identify with every person in this room. Every person. I'm blinking and I'm breathing, just like you. There, I did it. I need to find a way. I can find something in common with anybody that shares if I want to, if I look for it, right? So anyway, I'm sitting in the meeting, and this woman, I guess, didn't get the memo not to call on me. And she goes, you, would you like to share? And the whole room goes, uh-oh. <laughs> Don't. They're, they're all going like this. Mm -mm, mm. And Earl's sitting right next to me, right? And I go, Earl, can I say whatever I want? And he goes, go ahead. And I say, first of all, Nancy, never share again. No one gives a shit about anything you say. And then I started getting very passionate, and I said, I can't stand any of you. This guy loves me. And 
I just I said a bunch of stuff I'm ain't gonna say right now. But I told I challenge I just all of you can't stand. In fact, if I was on fire right now, there ain't a person in this room would pee on me. And thank God a dude didn't say something because I would have done something. And nobody said nothing except Margie, sitting two rows behind me. Margie said, "I'd pee on you, Danny." And the whole room, what's so significant about, you ever been in a meeting where everybody broke up for like five minutes, the place was rolling, and it was like I was on some weird angel dust acid PCP moment, where I was up here looking down, and I was laughing too, <laughs> at my own expense I was laughing, and my fists that had been clenched together all my life, right, was opened up, and that maybe turned into, oh my God. I'm in AA. I had a white light experience. I knew right then and there I was in, man. I'm part of this. This is wonderful. I'm. This is beautiful. I'm in. I love it. Yes. And I turned into immediately, you know, I turned into, you know that, you know, you've been to somebody's house, you know, where they got like a golden retriever that loves the ball. And they tell, whatever you do, don't touch the ball. If you want to visit us tonight, if you touch that ball or say ball, all we're doing tonight is ball. And I turned into that dog. And I ran up to Earl at the end of the meeting. I said, Earl, it's a great question to ask your sponsor. Usually people, when they call me, guys I sponsor, they just tell me who they slept with, what they ate, what movie they saw. That is not sponsorship. Ask me, what would you like me to do? And then do it and say, I finished what you wanted me to do. Now what would you like me to do? And you don't need to like it, think it's a good idea, just do it. You could hate the gym. Am I, you go to the gym, right? right? You could hate the gym, go there every day and go, stupid. Stupid, 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 stupid. For two months, and you go, oh, my God, I got bigger. You didn't have to like it. You didn't have to think it was a good idea, but there, something happened. There was a result. You don't have to think this is a good idea. It's better than crawling through the carpet, ain't it? Right? And that's what happened, man. I ran up to Earl at the end of the meeting, and I said, Earl, what do you want me to do? And he said, see that guy? We had this guy who was like a UFC fighter dude, right? He was like muscled out tattoos on his face the only thing that was missing from this guy was a sign that said don't come over here and talk to me and earl said go say hi to that guy and i thought dude are we looking at the same guy but somehow i turned into forrest gump and i said uh, contrary action right what is my problem Page 62 says selfish self-centeredness is my problem. Unity is the body. I bring it to a meeting. Recovery is of the mind. i got to work the 12 steps. Having had a spiritual awakening, what does that mean? Does that mean I can lift that cup from here? No. It means it's amazing how different something can look just from right here. I've had a change in perception. And now that I have, I know the contrary action to selfishness is the third side of the triangle. How can I help? When I'm thinking of you, I'm not thinking of me, and for some reason, it feels good. My life gets better. The constant thought of others, right? That's the deal. And I, I wish you the hardest thing that it's hard for us to find. It's peace, right? It's to become part of. Because I always felt so disconnected all my life, disconnected from everyone and everything. But here, I, I, AA has taught me to be the gentle and loving and kind man that I've always meant to be. Right? And I love you. Thank you.